Welcome to Market Scale Healthcare. I'm Sean Heath, and today I have an opportunity to have a conversation with Luciano Pesci. He is a doctor of economics, doctor professor of economics. I never get that title right. And he's the CEO of Imperitas. Dr. Pesci. That sounds weird. I know you, and it sounds weird to call you Dr. Pesci, but you weren't hard for that. Uh, I'll just go with this. Luciano, how are you today? Dr. Pesci does sound like an off-brand soda. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing well. I want to talk about your bona fides for just a second because sure. um, Imperitas is uh, a business intelligence solution. And, and you combine data, science, and agile market research, economics, which you're obviously a professor of economics. Um, you also really work very closely with the healthcare industry with a specific eye towards blockchain sectors and you're a bit of a futurist. Tell me a little bit about let's let's start off just simple. What is blockchain? Blockchain is a decentralized digital ledger. So it's a tamper proof or mostly tamper proof way to try to store data and it uses a very old approach. It uses the financial ledger system. You have inputs and outputs, inputs and outputs. And you're tracking it just like a ledger over time. And so it's different than modern databasing, which is what traditional, say, medical records are built around. And this old centuries old approach came into contact with a new technical problem, which was digital files. So what happens when a digital file can be copied and there's an original and a copy? And then how do you know which one's the real one and which one's the copy? And how do you know maybe around timestamps? And so this necessitated a new approach. And this is where decentralization makes blockchain a better solution than some of the other databasing approaches that are out there. So in a technical term, you have a block and that block has a hash and it references a last hash. So the last time that the data took a specific form. So it has that data, the last hash and the current hash. And because of that, you can connect every single thing that's happened in the ledger over time. And so this is why blockchain is, is often cited as being a transparent or a more complete solution to data storage. So obviously this is the magic solution to everything. This solves all of our problems. Blockchain is the greatest benefit the world has ever known, right? No, it's not a silver bullet solution. So it has really, really powerful use cases. And those use cases are pretty narrow. So it's not going to be something that maybe if you don't care about ownership over something, so control of that ownership, like compare a house to maybe a sandwich. You might not care so much about the sandwich relative to the way you care about the house. You have ownership over both, but the scale of that ownership, the magnitude to you is not the same. So it's only really good for the things that you have huge concern over. Now, they can be small in financial numbers. So food sourcing is actually really important. And there are people who wanna know in a sandwich where everything that's in that sandwich came from. So blockchain can still solve that problem, but would it's kind of expensive to solve that problem for sandwiches right now. It's not so hard to solve it for medical records. Another place where blockchain is really useful is when you need transparency and accountability because you can trace every single ledger transaction over time. There's a lot of transparency. That also allows you to create systems of accountability. So in some cases that can be code. And there's a saying in uh, cryptocurrency that has translated over into blockchain that code is law. You're creating systems in code. That code has rules about solving cryptographic problems. That's how you might secure the data. You have proof of work. You have to show that you actually got to a solution. That proof of work has to be validated by a decentralized network. So this is consensus. And the rules around governance of that consensus are particularly important to that idea of code is law. And blockchain is perfect for that. So it's perfect for that kind of a system, but it's not great for where ownership doesn't matter 
where you don't need transparency or accountability. But one other place where uh, it has a huge benefit is when there are high costs to miscoordination, miscoordination and exchange in particular. And this is where healthcare, it's really important because you can exchange ideas, you can exchange commodities, and you can exchange services. Now, all of those are really important when it comes to somebody's health. And if you miscoordinate, you could kill somebody. And so the other place where blockchain is great, and this does not have to get, this is not about human health, but the idea that if you need an immortal record, something that is not only immutable, but can sustain and last over time. And that's why decentralization is so key. Now, you mentioned uh, sandwiches. I, I just want to go on the record as stating, I take my sandwiches very seriously. So I do care about ownership of my sandwich. I just want to get that out into the into the public record. So blockchain has a very wide toolkit. It's very capable of, of being utilized in various ways across a wide spectrum of industries, right? Yeah. And in fact, a couple of the other podcasts that I've been on with MarketScale have talked about that. So it's role in retail, it's role in IT uh, exchange, data exchange. It, it is not refined to just one, one sector right now. In fact, Healthcare is one that's lagging. There are a lot of other industries where this is happening faster. Now, if you want to add pharmaceuticals to healthcare, that's where a lot of blockchain activity is happening. And that's because there are rules about tracking the source of materials that go into any drug or in, into any medical device. And you know, beyond pharmaceuticals, you have fashion where you have maybe a lot of fraud or the potential for easy fraud. And so you want to verify that a garment came from the source that it was, that it says, had the materials that were used in it, as it says, everything about it is known. Uh, cargo ships are another important cargo shipping. How do you track all the global commerce that's happening? And that's tied to cross-border payments. A lot of this is uh, being driven by globalization. And ironically, America is dead last right now in these blockchain projects. So there was a study that just came out from Deloitte about their state of the state of the blockchain. So it's a great report. I recommend everybody goes and looks for the PDF online. It's free. It's available. And they talked to, uh, they got on the phone or through survey with a thousand blockchain savvy executives and they define in that what that means. And I think that's one point of methodology you might want to consider. But they did go out there and they talked to about a thousand people about blockchain. And America just seems to come in last, not just in the number of projects that are going this year, but the number that are planned for next year. And more American executives than any other nation just thought that blockchain was overhyped. And I actually think that that part is true. So I think that in a lot of ways, blockchain, uh, I think in a lot of ways, blockchain is just the most recent version of the big data craze and then the AI craze that have come over the last few years. But that's excitement over data. All those things have one thing in common, data. There is a lot of value. It is overhyped, but people need to get moving on this. Now, even though America might be dead last in the total number of projects, 25 of the most viable are United States based. So we might not be playing in in huge quantity, but we are trying to play in quality. There's so many different aspects of blockchain that make it flexible to be applied to these disparate industries. I'm really curious about the way that Wall Street looks at this. Most people are familiar with blockchain because of cryptocurrency. They hear those words together and they don't actually understand that they're two separate things. So cryptocurrency, just like global shipping, just like uh, humanitarian crisis aid that might be using a blockchain technology, they are a specific, uh, you, they try to fill a specific utility in the market. 
And this is where cryptocurrencies have evolved beyond just money. And most people are familiar with Bitcoin and they also associate blockchain with Bitcoin and Bitcoin with crime. But because of the traceability of the ledger, there are data mining companies like Chainalysis out there who have gone through the transactions and they've said, well, only about 1% right now of Bitcoins are going to dark net sites, things that we would assume are hidden from the public view on purpose because they're mostly criminal related. 1%. At its height, it was 30%. So it's never been the majority function for that cryptocurrency. The majority function has been money and letting people move money mostly across borders because that's typically very hard in a globalizing world. And so the second wave of, of cryptocurrencies, these altcoins that have come after Bitcoin and after Ethereum and after Ripple and IOTA, these are things that are now trying to function more as a utility. So they have some sort of business function and they tokenize it. So you might get ownership to that. So this gets to the Wall Street. There's a business with a business function. It has to fit a market, it has product market fit. So in the healthcare system, this could be a provider. You are providing services in the healthcare sector and you have a token that your users could use to come and see you. So they could buy the token that way. You could also have it so that you sell to users or sell to investors an ownership stake in that business. And that's the securities token model. And it's really, it comes down to utility or security. And T0, one of my neighbors here in Utah, tied to the overstock.com group through their subsidiary Medici Ventures, just got a $1.5 billion valuation for T0, which is meant to directly take on Wall Street by securitizing businesses. So that my ownership stake in any business of any type, healthcare or not, is on a blockchain and I have a token that controls that equity ownership. And I might get dividends from that. I might get profit sharing. I might get the ability to utilize the system for uh, securitizing my other own business. But any of those options are available to me and I control it and only I control it. Nobody can take it from me by force. I mean, they could put a gun to my head and say, you are forced to make this transfer. But the, one of the benefits of, of blockchain and why it showed up, I think, with money first, but look, pharmaceuticals is right in tow, is because ownership and control is very important. Well, let's go from the macro view down to the micro view with regard to healthcare. Blockchain as a technology seems to be a good fit for the control that's needed and desired in the healthcare industry. Yeah, and the control around data. So that's the other thing to remember is that so much of this control in healthcare, the applications of, of blockchain in healthcare are almost exclusively tied to data. So the first ever evidence-based blockchain summit just happened in New York City in June. Uh, that was a global summit. Everybody's coming to New York City. There are about 50 blockchain-based health startups right now. Uh, medical chain is probably one of the most interesting. They are trying to bring those three Ps from the healthcare sector. So in healthcare, they often talk about the patient, the payer, and the provider. Those are three separate entities. And what makes healthcare in some cases unique from other markets is you have that payer in between the provider and the patient. Just swap the word patient with customer and you've got business and customer. And you don't usually have that kind of strong intermediary who pays on one person's behalf to the other. And that creates a lot of issues around information sharing, data sharing, and so Medical Chain is one of those early pioneers, one of those 50 blockchain-based health startups that are trying to solve that problem. And it's all related to electronic health records. Uh, there's another, I don't know if it's pronounced Linnea, but L-I-N-N-E-A. Um, they're trying to put a patient's genome, their nutrition, their fitness track data, their mother's birth data, 
put it all onto a blockchain and then mine it with machine learning models to try to figure out how to help humanity live longer. So crowdsource our data, our individual experiences into a blockchain, share that with certain permissions to one of these companies and allow them to use something like AI to figure out what is the connection between X and Y and how Z could maybe help stop A from causing B. And that gives a lot of power to the patients. And this is one of the movements in healthcare that it's been building for a while, but this patient-centric centric approach, value-based approach, where the patient is in control. And so even in a system where you're giving your data over, there's private and there's public, and then there's these hybrid systems. It, Bitcoin is, kind of, is a private system. If I send you Bitcoin, you have it now, I don't have it anymore, and my ownership over it's gone. Well, I might not want to lose it when I send it to you, because if it's a health record, I don't want to just give it to you. I want you to have a copy and I'm, for me to have a copy. And that's where a public system could come in, but I might not want my neighbor to see it. And so I might use a hybrid where it's private, but I can share it with you and we both have a copy. But the point is that these systems are putting the patient in, in control of the system. We have these new companies coming into existence with an eye towards the blockchain ecosystem. What other sort of trends is blockchain going to bring to healthcare? So last year, IBM put out a survey that they said 16, I think it was 15 or 16 percent of healthcare leaders plan to start experimenting with blockchain. That's not an easy thing to do right now because blockchain engineers, people who can code in specific languages because they're not all using regular computer languages, are often in short, short supply. You might be able to find some internationally, which is what a lot of organizations have done, but then you have remote. Uh, remote workforce management stuff that comes in and that gets difficult. Um, but about 56% of, according to the survey, about 56% of healthcare leaders thought that by 2020, so the majority by 2020, will have some sort of blockchain initiative going on at their organization. So there's a lot of opportunity right now in healthcare to be one of those early movers. And it's not good to be a blind early mover. It's not first to product market, it's first to product market fit. And so if you're using data to guide that process in those blockchain technology projects, the chance of a successful experimentation are probably pretty high because everything's digital. This is the best that data has ever been. There's more data related to blockchain and blockchain companies and cryptocurrencies than almost anything else in the economy. And so if you use that data successfully as an early adopter, there are huge gains because the vast majority just aren't going to do anything until 2020. Early adoption is a good idea. It's better than no adoption. But why? What are the actual real world problems that blockchain can address in healthcare? Well, not to be the greedy capitalist economist, but the first is just the market size. This is a $5.6 billion market by 2025, blockchain related health solutions, just blockchain related. So there are many billions of dollars to be made by solving some of these problems. But to get to the actual problems, the utility that this service would fulfill through a blockchain, the number one in my mind is medical death. So the BMJ uh, has a great podcast you can find online where they talk about medical error, that if you sum up all the medical errors that are in our system, it's a leading cause of death. It's the third. So it's just behind heart disease, cancer, and medical error. And that equates to about 250,000 people a year. And this is a finding that was echoed long ago by Barbara Starfield from it's a JAMA article from 2000, where she found roughly about the same number, 225,000 dead a year, just because of medical issues. Now, some of them are not preventable. They couldn't save them. Some were preventable. Some were accidental. 
some were drug mixes, but almost all of them come back to lack of information. And that's just, keep in mind, that's just actual death. So what about all the uh, non-lethal medical errors? So the, the, the medical term that haunts my dreams is the retained sponge. So a retained sponge is something that gets left inside your body when they're doing surgery. It can be lethal, but it guarantees that you're having another operation. So all the issues with infection come back, all the extra billing, all the loss of quality of life because a sponge got accidentally left inside your body. Now, I do believe that there is probably a blockchain future where every sponge is on the blockchain. We are years, years and years away from that. So it's not going to solve those things, but it can solve a left foot amputation when it should have been a right foot amputation just because some files didn't get shared. Now, this medical death being related to information has, uh, it has opposing regulation that's guiding it. And, you know, take aside, like leave aside all the just lack of communication that happens between hospitals and general practitioners, uh, the system. So even if you can get data into a system, an electronic medical system or an electronic health system, how do you share that with other people? And is that sharing of systems even possible in real time? There's going to be, there's going to be problems no matter what related to information. But if you could solve a lot of them just because the information wasn't correct, a lot of those medical deaths would go away. A lot of the non-lethal medical errors would go away. And this is what I think is trying to guide the federal regulation that's in place. So I already mentioned earlier the drug supply chain regulation. By 2023, you have to have that. You have to be able to track every document, every change, all of it. Now, that's requiring you to get the data into a system. There's opposing, somewhat opposing regulation that tries to keep you from getting the data out of the system in ways that it wasn't meant to be. And so this is where HIPAA comes in. So the penalties of a breach are huge. And uh, I tell this story often to my class, my econ class, is that I was in a health provider's, uh, health provider's office one time, not to get crass, but I went into the restroom. And there in the restroom were just banners of all the jail time and fine combinations of HIPAA violations. I've never been in any other business where there were sort of plastered signs about the penalty for a data breach. So these are serious limitations to anyone who wants to create a system that shares information because you could be going to jail, even if it's not intentional, even if it's not fraudulent, there are penalties. And so that disincentivizes the sharing of information that would save the lives and the unnecessary surgeries related to bad information. And all of this boils down to the electronic health record the EHR, the EMR, right? All the information needs to go into one place. It should be tied to the individual. That individual should be able to go into one doctor and then go to another doctor. And that second doctor should have all the information that pertains to that patient. So they don't make a bad diagnosis or an incomplete diagnosis, or they don't uh, prescribe something that they shouldn't have because of a interaction. All that just comes back to information. There is a, a definite danger of counterfeit drugs. Because if I'm in the hospital, I want to make sure that whatever pharmaceutical you give me is what it's supposed to be. And it was created the, with the quality it was supposed to be. It seems like blockchain would be able to, to help crack down on that problem too. Well, I think that's why the pharmaceutical industry is leading this adoption. Because again, the cost of miscoordination here is high. You kill somebody, you get a kappa, right? Corrective action, preventative action. You get an audit from the FDA. And they're going to look at all those things. Was it not just made correctly to recipe, but within certain tolerances? 
those machines that these things are being produced on now produce data that's analyzed in this process. They really are trying to minimize the consequence of miscoordination. Ironically, I think that because of the size of these industries, the scope and nature of the regulation, the kind of thing that they're dealing with, there is a lot of miscoordination that the blockchain will fix. And counterfeit drugs is one of them. And I think there's two ways in which, uh, you know, if I take a drug and it doesn't do what I was expecting, that could be for one of two reasons in my mind. It wasn't made right, like you were saying, to the specifications with the right recipe by the actual provider, right? It's not, it's not the drug that I was hoping to take because it didn't deliver its promise. And, but it still came from the person that I thought it was. And then there's counterfeit drugs that masquerade as being made by somebody else and who are not made by that source. And they might actually function. And so this is one of the interesting things about the counterfeit drug market is they're not out to kill people because they're stealing market share often with almost no marketing budget from some of the biggest companies in the world. And they don't want it to be a, a one-time burn. They set up complex factories. They have their own branding, this counterfeiting. But what it comes down to is when you take it, you don't know which source it came from. And that's also a problem. And so when you start to talk about something like the blockchain, and this is one of its main uses across any industry is supply control. Because like I said, you care about your sandwich. You want to know what's in that sandwich. If you've made that sandwich a thousand times or had someone else make it a thousand times and you love it, you want it made that same way, you have the potential, at least through a blockchain, to trace that it really is what you think it is that you're getting. I feel like you understand me extremely well, Luciano, and you know that I'm probably going to be the first person in the world to utilize blockchain to track my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, I'm sure that that day is actually rapidly approaching. I will send you the key and I'll share it with you because I know you you want to know how my sandwich is doing as well. Well, and as humorous as this, uh, this situation is, to someone who wants to sell you bread and has to source all the materials from all over the world, or to someone who wants to manufacture peanut butter or jelly, or the bag that they're going to send it in, all of those organizations are really, really interested in making sure that you get what you want. And with the blockchain, if you're willing to grant them access to your data, they will optimize their systems to you. And so there's even, there's even a future in which patience or any customer using the blockchain start to monetize their own preferences to the very sellers that they want to do business with. Because by doing that in a trusted form, if I give it to you, I know that you can't go give it to somebody else. If I do that, then you can provide to me an even better experience. And so in healthcare, I think this is really important because one of the other problems that blockchain is going to solve for healthcare is improving the patient experience. And there's a lot of attention being paid to that right now. It was in part forced because of this cost crisis that just exploded in healthcare, which still hasn't increased, by the way, as much in real terms as tuition at college universities. But it is a cost crisis and it's related to excessive billing. You have five to 10% of fraud. Medicare fraud is $30 million in 2016. Everybody's losing and they want to move towards a better value-based care. And so much of that comes down to including the patient in that process, letting them drive it with their data and providing to them an optimized, simplified, personalized service that helps them live happier, healthier lives. 
I could talk to you about this all day. I find the the intersection of technology with varied industries, especially when you have one technology that can span several industries. That's always just really interesting to me. And I really do appreciate you taking the time today. It has been a pleasure, as always, to talk to Luciano Pesci. He's a professor of economics and the CEO of Imperitas. Luciano, thanks so much for taking the time and for helping to make me a little bit smarter today about blockchain. I really appreciate appreciate it. You are welcome. And I look forward to the next opportunity to talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.